If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I want to encourage you to open them to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. We're going to look this morning at the first four verses of Genesis chapter 12. And again, I want to say happy Mother's Day to all you moms out there. And um, I do want to remind you or or make you aware of something that we're going to do tomorrow. Um, We're going to do it on the Mondays for the next few weeks. Um, as pastors, we've been making a lot of phone calls. We've talked to a lot of you over the phone. We've been able to see you on Zoom meetings and things like that. Um, but we'd like to see you in person. And so what we're going to do on these Mondays for a while from 10 to 1230 is myself and some of our pastoral team are going to be in the parking lot. And if you would uh, just like for one of us to pray for you and your family, you can drive through. We'll uh, be able to come up to you there and pray for you and your family. So if you need prayer, we're going to have drive through, pray with a pastor on these Mondays from 10 uh, to 1230. Uh, you come see us. Well, Genesis chapter 12, uh, you'll remember uh, we've uh, seen man made in the image of God. God's placed him there in the garden, given him everything he, he needs and wants. He's given him choice, and man disobeys, man sins. And right after the fall of man, God makes this incredible promise that he's going to send someone, the seed of the woman, who's going to come, and he's going to crush Satan's head. He's going to defeat sin, Satan, and death, but he himself will be wounded in the process. He himself will die. And there's this looking into, in the Old Testament, Who will this individual be? And as we work our way through the Old Testament, uh, the the focus begins to narrow down. And so we've seen that if uh, this seed of the woman is going to come through Adam, and then we've seen it's going to come through Seth, and then we've seen that it's going to come through Noah, and then through Shem. And then at the end of chapter 11, it works its way down to one individual known as Abram, or as we will call him, Abraham. And as we begin to look at the life of Abraham, there is no way to overstate the significance of this individual. This is a critical moment in this covenant and God's dealing with Abraham's in the birth of this great nation called Israel. Uh, This is a pivotal moment in God's salvation story. And so we're going to take a long look. In fact, uh, the next several weeks and maybe even months, we'll be looking at the life of Abraham, this great man of faith. He's going to accomplish some amazing things. He's going to live a very big life and do some great things for God. But if you, you look closely at his life, The key, the critical piece of Abraham's life was nothing in and of himself. In fact, the more you study this individual, the more you realize he was very flawed. He was very weak. Next week, we're going to see right after this great commitment, faith, and obedience to God, he's going to fall flat on his face. He's going to sell his wife down the river to Pharaoh. And so you're going to find out this is a very weak individual, a very flawed individual. But what will make the difference in Abraham's life will be his faith. That is, faith in God will become an anchor for his soul that allows him to stand up underneath the trials of life. Not to be overcome by the trials, but to stand up underneath the trials. He'll do it by faith in God. And this is so critical to our lives as well. The difference maker in Abraham's life, the difference maker in every great man and woman you'll see in Scripture was their faith in God. 
There are few things more critical to your life today. In fact, you could say the most critical thing to your life today is your faith and your belief in God. In fact, the author of Hebrews tells us without faith, it's impossible to please God. You study the life of Jesus, you realize nothing impressed Jesus except faith. You never see Jesus go up to Matthew and say, boy, you sure are good with numbers. we got to have you on our team. But you'll remember when he encounters the Syrophoenician woman, he says, you got great faith. Remember the Roman centurion? Come, Jesus says, I'll come to your house. I'll heal your son. You don't need to come. You're a man. I'm a man of authority. You're a man of authority. Just say the word. And you remember what Jesus says? I've never seen faith like this in all of Israel. Scripture even tells us when the Lord returns, will he find faith? There are few things more critical. In fact, the most critical thing is our faith in God. So then the question becomes, what is faith? What does faith look like? How do, I, how do I know if I have it? Well, to some extent, although we know in Scripture it's already been about faith. It's always been about faith in the seed of the woman. But in many regards, you could say that faith begins right here in chapter 12. Because Abraham is called the father of all who believe, both Jew and Gentile. So right here in these first four verses, and even as we move throughout, but even here in these first four verses, we're going to see a picture of the kind of faith that pleases God, the kind of faith that pleases God. And Now, before we even get any further, there, there are some who believe that faith is the mental assent, or assent to certain truths about God. That I believe in God and I believe in his son Jesus. I believe uh, he suffered under uh, Pontius Pilate. He was crucified and dead and buried and he raised. But listen to me. Satan believes all those things. Not only does he believe it, he knows it. He was there. So to say that mental assent to certain truths about God is faith, that wouldn't separate us from the demons who believe in God and tremble. So we got to say it's got to be more than just mental assent to certain truths. What is it? What is this faith that God's looking for in our lives? What is the faith that pleases the heart of God? I think we're going to get a really good picture of it in the life of this man, Abraham. So let's just read these first four verses. We're going to pray together, and then we'll look at some of the critical aspects of a faith that pleases God. Look with me, verse 1 of Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I'll make you a great nation and I'll bless you and I'll make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. And I'll bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him and Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. I am going to take a knee this morning to pray. If you'd like to join me, let's pray together as we begin our time of study. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come before your word. We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in Scripture. God, I pray that as we study your word this morning, we come to a very clear understanding of what it means to believe in you. What it means to trust you. And God, we know this morning that this word is alive. It is living and active. This is no ordinary book. 
And so, Holy Spirit, we pray that you'd make it alive to all of us today. Individually, wherever we're at, I pray that we would hear your voice and you would change us, correct us, rebuke us, encourage us. But do business in our hearts today. We want to draw close to you. We want to know you better. That we might live a life that pleases you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as we kind of look at this text, you got to know the context. And really to see that, you've got to study more in depth the end of chapter 11. But let me just share with you the circumstance here. You've got Abraham living with his father. Uh, He has his wife with him, Sarai, and his nephew, Lot. And they have settled in the area of Haran. Now, Joshua 24.2 tells us that Abraham's father was an idolater. And this is important to know that Abraham grows up, he's raised in a pagan household. Now, we also know on the basis of the end of chapter 11 that his wife, Sarai, who will later become known as Sarah, she is barren. So if you look at this from a purely physical perspective, it seems impossible that from these two individuals would come a great nation that loves God. You have an old man raised in a pagan household with a barren wife. The idea of God producing a great nation from these two people seems impossible. But listen to me more this morning. The impossible is where God does his greatest work. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what circumstances of your life would seem to prohibit the things of God But understand me today, the impossible circumstances of life are often where God does his greatest work. So in the midst of those circumstances, we have to ask ourselves, how did faith begin? Because it doesn't look good right here. Well, if you see in verse 1, the very first thing that happens is what? It says in verse 1, the Lord said to Abraham. Now, We have a tendency to skip right over that phrase and go right into uh, the command of God and the promises of God. But don't miss this. You have Abraham here, uncircumcised, pagan, living amongst pagans. And God says something to him. And that's how faith began. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? By the word of God. But as we look at this, Abraham doesn't have a Bible, does he? The law hasn't been written. Moses hasn't even been born. But somehow, by the power of the Holy Spirit, God speaks into Abraham's life, and that's how faith began. Now, for those of us living uh, post-Calvary in the New Testament, this book, the, the Bible as contained in this, these 66 books of the, uh, of the Bible. This book is our rule of faith and doctrine and morals. No matter what we are taught, no matter who stands in this pulpit, we ought to be taught to judge everything we hear by the word of God. 
If an angel flies into your room tonight, don't get too excited. Let him talk first. Because if that angel says anything that's contrary to this book, it is not a word from God. And I know it's, it's common today to hear people say, God spoke to me. And I'm not negating uh, what God can do or what a person heard. But here's what I know. If God said, or if somebody says, God spoke to me, if he said anything that contradicts this book, it's not a true word from God. This book is our rule of faith and doctrine and morals. But here's what we've got to understand. If we're going to have a faith that pleases God, we must be a people who abide in the word of God. We've got to be a people of the book. We've got to be a people who delight ourselves in the law of the Lord. And in his law, we meditate both day and night. And we become trees firmly planted by streams of water, which yield their fruit in season. There is no way, listen to me today. There's no way to have a faith that pleases God apart from studying and reading the word of God. We must be a people. You can't grow in your faith or have a faith that pleases God if you never read the Bible. But here's a word of caution, because it's not just about intellectually reading this book. That a faith that pleases God is not just about the accrual of knowledge. If you're just reading this book like a textbook or like a history book, just trying to acquire knowledge, if this book doesn't become a living word to you, the danger is that you would just become a Pharisee. That you just accumulate knowledge and instead of God breaking and changing your heart, it just gives you a big head. So Bible knowledge alone does not equal faith. You can know Greek and Hebrew. You can have a theology degree and not have the faith of a slug. But on the other hand, you can be a high school dropout and, and be full of faith. Because faith doesn't come by the accrual of a knowledge in reading this book. Faith comes by opening this book with a childlike faith and pleading with God to make his word alive and speak to you. And George Mueller said oftentimes when he was studying the word of God, he, it would feel stale. And he would take the Bible and he would lay it on the floor in front of him and he would get on his knees and he would beg God, make this word alive to me. And what this means for us is that we've got to take time to read the Bible. Can I just ask you, when, when was the last time you got alone with God and his word without any distractions? And you just asked God with a childlike faith, make this word come alive to me. If you've walked with God any amount of time at all, there are few experiences in, the, in, in, in our walk with Christ that are more powerful than those moments when we're reading a passage of Scripture, maybe a passage we've read a hundred times. But all of a sudden, as we're reading, it's as if there's a word, a passage, or a phrase that just pops off the page. And it's as if God himself through his perfect word, is speaking directly to you as if you were the only person in the world. Boy, there are few things more powerful than that. And those moments mark our life. 
And I just want to speak to you today, if you don't know Christ, can I just challenge you? Would you come with an open mind and a humble heart just to read Scripture? Just start in Matthew. Just start reading the gospel. I believe this word is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it's the belief of my heart that if you'll come to God's word with humility and honesty, that God will convict you with you of your sin. But more than that, he'll, he'll overwhelm you with the depth of his love. If we want to have a faith that pleases God, we got to be in the Bible. And this book must become alive to us. But then secondly, what what do we see in Abraham's life? What happens next? Well, God says, the Lord said to Abraham, what's the first thing that God says to Abraham? First thing, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. I love the, the, the New King James Version says, get out of your country uh, from your relatives and from your father's house. And it's amazing how God just rattles these things off. Get out of, uh, from your father's house, from your relatives, from your country. Leave everything that you're comfortable with. Leave everything that's familiar to you. Leave everything that you're used to. And here, here's really the second critical element, I believe, of a faith that pleases God. That the people of faith are always willing to leave what they're used to, to leave what they're comfortable with, to go to something better that God has for them. That men and women of faith are always leaving. And this doesn't just mean geographical leaving, although that is sometimes the case. That's how all the great missionary movements started. Uh, why, did, um, why did Hudson Taylor go to China? Why, why did Adoniram Judson go to Burma? Why, why did Livingston go to Africa? By faith, they, they were trusting in God, and God had called them clearly in the Scripture to make disciples of all the nations, and by faith, they went out. But it doesn't always mean geographical leaving. But here's what it does mean. You can't follow God and stay where you're at, not spiritually speaking. You can't follow God And stay who you are. That the Christian life and complacency are antithetical. And you know, as you study scripture, the more and more you see God is always pushing his people outside their comfort zones. And teaching them to trust him. Even just as we just finished chapter 11, God says to the people, what's the command he gives post-flood? Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. And what do they do? I think we're just going to stay right here. We kind of like this area. We don't want to leave. We're comfortable with this. And what does God do? Well, we'll see about that. And God confuses their languages and he scatters them out and the nations are born. But even over in the New Testament, you would think, well, the, the apostles, they get it. Surely they get it. We get over the, 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 the acts and and. Jesus says, you're going to be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the remotest parts of the world. And where do they go? Stay right in Jerusalem. This is what we're comfortable with. This is what we're used to. And what does God do? Well, we'll just see about that. And God brings about a persecution, and he scatters them. More often than not, the picture of God that we see in our lives is him constantly 
pushing us outside of our comfort zone and pushing us outside of our complacency and teaching us that we can trust him. It's amazing how much energy and effort that we put forth to stay in a place of comfort. It's almost laughable that I think far too often kind of our prayer is, God, we want to see you do something new. We want to do something, we want to see you do something great, but we ain't changing. How in the world is that going to work? I mean, some people, I've heard them say this to me, well, well, Pastor, what what I'm doing is working. Why would I change? It's kind of, well, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And by the way, that's not a Bible passage. But what they're really saying is this. I've learned so much, I've come to a place where I don't need to learn or grow anymore. Folks, God help us as individuals, as a church, if we ever get to a place where God can't move us, God can't teach us, and God can't grow us. We all have something to learn. We all have to be willing to leave. I have to be willing to leave. I think that's to some extent what's been so hard for me in the midst of this COVID-19 situation. Do you know what God has done in this? He's taken every ritual and tradition that we rely upon, and what has he caused us to do? He's forced us to change. He's forced us to leave. And if we're not careful, we will rely more upon our rituals and more upon our traditions than we do God. And it's hard to leave traditions. You know, I, with with couples that are getting married, part of my premarital counseling is counseling them around the area of family traditions, specifically as it relates to Christmas. Because as a new couple gets married, guess what's going to change? The old family traditions around Christmas. It's hard to leave any traditions. But you know what I found? It's most difficult to leave religious traditions. But if we really want to see God move, in our lives, in our families, in our church, and in our nation. We must always be willing to leave, to go wherever God leads and go wherever God directs. And can I just challenge you today? There's nothing more fun than being willing to follow God wherever he leads. It may seem scary, but it is a grand adventure. But then what else do we see? We see that a faith that pleases God requires us to leave without knowing all the details. God tells him to leave to go where? He says to a land that I'll show you. That's pretty vague, isn't it? But that's what Abraham's going to learn throughout his life. God never gives Abraham more information than he needs to take the next step. And this is hard for us, isn't it? Because we're control freaks. We, we want to know the end at the beginning. We want to know how it's all going to work out. In fact, more often than not, it's got to make sense in our minds. But that is rarely, if ever, how God deals with us. 
Rarely does God ever give us the end at the beginning. And if we're going to have a faith that pleases God, we got to be willing to follow God, to leave, even when we don't know where we're going, even when we don't know exactly where we're going to end up, and just be satisfied in knowing that God has our hand and he'll never leave us. I mean, imagine the picture of Abraham here picking up with his family and just leaving. I mean, you imagine the questions he must have gotten. Hey, old man, where are you headed? I don't know. God just told me to leave. How will you know when you get there? You don't even know. How are you going to know? Well, he just told me to leave. Listen, old man, where you're headed, there's, there's Amorites, there's Hittites, there's, there's Jebusites. How are you going to protect yourself? You don't have an army. You don't got any soldiers. I don't know. He just told me to leave. How are you going to earn a living? Are you going to live in houses? Are you going to live in tents? I, I don't know. He just told me to leave. You know, if... If you don't like surprises and you don't like change and you have to know the, all the details and you're seeking to follow Christ, can I just warn you today, it's going to be a bumpy ride. Because that's not the kind of faith that pleases God. The kind of faith that pleases God is says, God, it's enough just to know that you're with me. Well, what else do we see here? We see also that a faith that pleases God requires us to trust completely in the work of God. To trust completely in the work of God. Because as you look in verses two through three, the phrase that you see over and over again in these great promises in this covenant is these words, I will, I will, I will. All these promises here, from a human perspective, they are impossible. I'm going to make you into a great nation. The problem is Abraham and Sarah are looking into nursing homes. Abraham's old, Sarah's barren. This is absolutely impossible. But what do we know in Scripture? Those things that are impossible with man become possible with God. God is underscoring right here at the beginning that the fulfillment of his promise is something that he and he alone does. That God's work is going to bypass every human effort. It's going to bypass every human contribution so that God and God alone accomplishes his work and he and he alone gets all the glory. Abraham is going to have to trust God without any contribution of his own. In fact, Abraham is always, if you notice this, he's always trying to help God out. And whenever he tries to help God out, he only makes matters worse. And do you know what God is showing us? He's showing us in God's work of salvation and redemption. It is all his work. If you are listening today and you don't know Christ, 
Just like Abraham, God is making some incredible promises to you. He promises to save you, to forgive you, to secure you. He promises to be with you, to have a deep and abiding relationship with you. He promises to give you the righteousness of Christ. He promises to give you an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away. But listen to me. If you think this is something that you can do in your own effort, in your own ability, you will never know the salvation of Christ. That work is impossible with you. If you don't know salvation or you are struggling with the assurance of salvation, you need God to convince you of your complete inadequacy and your total insufficiency to save yourself. God's work of salvation is not a cooperative effort. The fulfillment of his promises is not a partnership. It is not God helps those who help themselves. It is all God's work from beginning to end. All we do is trust. We believe. If these promises in Abraham's life are going to be accomplished, they will only be accomplished by the grace of God. And God says, I will. You know, as I study Abraham's life, it's interesting to me. You get into chapter 15, there's going to be some amazing experiences that Abraham's going to have with God. But the more I study this, the more I, I don't think that Abraham really doubts God's ability to fulfill the promises. Do you know what I think Abraham was constantly doubting himself. And the more I think about it, the more I realize that in many ways that's our great deterrent to knowing salvation and the assurance of salvation. It's not that we doubt that God can do these things, but we doubt ourselves. God, maybe you don't know me. Maybe you don't understand just how sinful I am or what I've done or how weak I am. And the great encouragement of Abraham and Sarah as we're going to study their life is that if God can do all these great things and fulfill all these promises in these two individuals, the most unlikely of candidates, then there is no limit to what God can do through any individual who will simply trust him and believe in him. So Abraham is going to have to trust completely in the work of God. Then finally, what do we see? We see that a faith that pleases God is always combined with obedience. It's always combined with obedience because we see in the very end here, verse 4, so Abraham went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. Now Abram was 70 years old when he departed from Haran. And so here we see that, that a faith that pleases God is always combined with obedience. You never see the two separated. James says it this way, faith without works, is dead. And sometimes I think the life of faith is misunderstood, that the, a life of faith is one in which you just do nothing and you, and you just sit back and let God do whatever he's going to do. And that's certainly not what we see in Scripture. 
What we see in Scripture is that a life of faith is just a straightforward, practical, and moral obedience to God and what He's revealed in His Word. That's faith. That's a life of faith. It's simply obedience. Abraham, he heard the voice of God. He knew very clearly God was not vague in his commands. God is rarely vague in his commands. He may be vague about the details or how it will end or how it will go, but his commands are fairly straightforward. And so Abraham knows what God wants him to do, and what does he do? He obeys. He did it. Simple as that. And whenever Abraham went wrong, all the regrets of Abraham's life were always in this area. I believe the same holds true with us. That whenever Abraham got it wrong and messed up, it was always because he obeyed himself and his own sinful desires rather than God. Rather than just trusting and obeying God, he thought he knew better than God. And that's normally where we goof up. That most of the problems in our life come from a lack of trust and obedience to what God has clearly revealed in his word. So often we get hung up on the details, don't we? And what's the saying? It's not the parts of God's word that I don't understand that bother me the most. It's the parts that I do understand and I don't obey. And more often than not, where we get into trouble is when we think we know better than God. Whenever we do wrong, it's always because we do not trust that God is better than anything we could ever get by disobedience. There's something in our sinful hearts that's often saying to us that if we trust God and obey him, we're going to miss out. And what Abraham is going to learn And what we need to learn is that true joy, peace, and fulfillment comes through a life that is lived in trust and obedience to God's word. As we sing sometimes, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. Throughout this week, knowing that it was Mother's Day weekend, I couldn't help but think that each week we get these, we get prayer cards. We get a lot of prayer cards. And the overwhelming majority, I'd love to know the percentages, but I can guarantee you it is in the 70% area. 70% of those prayer cards are written by mothers. And of that 
70% roughly of mothers that are filling out prayer cards, I would say the vast majority of those, you know what their prayer requests are for? It's for the salvation of a son, a daughter, a son-in-law, a daughter-in-law, or a grandchild. And if it's not for salvation, it's praying for a son, a daughter, or a grandchild that knows the Lord but is walking in rebellion. And I would imagine on this Mother's Day weekend that there's a chance that some of those sons or daughters or grandchildren tuned in to watch us today out of a sense of obligation to their mother. And some of you are watching right now, and quite honestly, it takes everything within you to keep from turning off the computer, the TV, or your phone right now because you don't even want to be here. You don't want to be listening to this. But somehow in your life right now, God is speaking to you. Through the power of his word, somehow supernaturally, he is speaking into your heart right now. And you know what's happening. You're being convicted of your sin. You know you're a sinner. But I pray also you are sensing God tell you that despite all your sin, he loves you. And you're struggling right now because you know. You know what belief in Jesus means. It means you have to leave. And quite honestly, you're comfortable in your sin. And you're afraid to leave a place of comfort in your sinfulness. You're afraid to trust and obey. And I want you to hear me this morning. That Jesus himself and knowing him is better than anything you will ever gain in your sin and disobedience. But you've got to trust him. You've got to step out in faith. The scripture says, in layman's term, pull up a chair at the table of God and taste and see if he's not good. You know, there's a saying that goes from the outside looking in, it's hard to understand. And from the inside looking out, it's hard to explain. I don't know what else to tell you except that the greatest joy in my life has been trusting Jesus. And the only regrets I ever have is when I didn't trust and I disobeyed. Would you trust him today? Let's pray together. Father, we we thank you that you are a God who still speaks. You are a God who is alive. 
through Jesus Christ who conquered the grave. And you're a God who still speaks into our hearts. You convict us of sin. You draw us to yourself. And God, I pray if there's anybody out there today that doesn't know you. They've never trusted in Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. And maybe they're struggling right now. There's a crisis of belief going on right now in their heart. They know they're a sinner. And they know they're call- you're calling them to leave a life of sin. We call it repentance. To turn away from their sin and turn to Christ as their Savior. And they're scared. They're afraid. God, I pray that you would so overwhelm them with your love that they would step out in faith without a shadow of doubt knowing that whatever they gain in you is far greater than anything they'll leave behind. God, for those of us that do know you, we're constantly struggling with this to have a faith that pleases you. God, I pray that we would abide in your word and we'd hear your voice consistently in in our life, that we would long to hear your voice in your word more than we'd long for air or food or water. Because we know that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. God, I pray that we would constantly be willing to leave, leave what we're used to, Leave what we're comfortable to lay everything down at your feet. To remove from our lives things that need to be removed. To place into our lives things that need to be there. So that we might have a faith that pleases you. I pray that we would trust in you completely. And that our faith would be combined with simple obedience. God, if there's any area where we're being disobedient today, God, convict us of that area so that we might have a faith that pleases you and a faith that taps into the power that you provide to those who walk in obedience to your word. Father, we love you and we praise you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.